when you look at Chattanooga, it was really the perfect time and really a good place to launch this. When you're able to bring something like this to an engaged community, then you can kind of get the benefits that Chattanooga sees. This is episode 257 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Coleman Keene is back on the show for an update on the situation in Chattanooga, Tennessee. In addition to surpassing expectations for subscribers, the municipal utility is doing very well financially. Electric rates have been kept in check for everyone in the EPB service area, regardless of whether or not they use the fiber-to-the-home internet service, and the infrastructure smart grid has kept expensive outages to a minimum. Coleman and Christopher also talk about the Chattanooga community and how its culture has contributed to the success of the network, which has, in turn, provided multiple benefits. First, we want to urge you to take a moment to help us out by contributing at muninetworks.org or or ilsr.org. Shows like this don't have commercial interruptions, and we like it that way, but they still cost money to produce. If you're already a donor, we want to thank you. Your contributions help spread the facts about municipal networks, so kudos to you for participating. Now here's Christopher with Coleman Keene from Chattanooga's EPB. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, again coming at you from Mountain Connect in Keystone, Colorado, a wonderful regional conference, one of the best in the nation. And I'm here today with Coleman Keene, the Director of Fiber Technology for EPB Chattanooga. Welcome back to the show. Well, thank you very much. I just looked it up earlier. You were last on for episode 175, which would be about a year and a half ago, I'm guessing. Wow. And I wanted to tell you congratulations. You uh, gave a wonderful keynote this morning. Thank you. Um, but uh, also, you've surpassed 90,000 customers. Of- it is hard to believe. It's a long ways away from when we started and where we thought we would be. Well, yeah. yeah just go over that for a second, because you mentioned where you expected to be. Right. So uh, in our initial business planning process, you know, we were looking at somewhere around a 30 percent take rate in order to be break even for the whole project to work. And in the plan, we targeted having somewhere around 45,000 customers. Uh, that was kind of our best case scenario. And we're twice that today. Uh, so we're very happy. And uh, it's been a very good experience for us and for Chattanooga. So one of the things I was I was curious about is, um what what causes the 89,999th customer to sign up finally? I mean, they've had years of this. Um, you mentioned that some of it has to do with your community engagement. That is my opinion. I, I, I absolutely believe that uh, as time has gone on, just people talking in the community about what a great service EPB provides, because we actually we actually believe in great customer service and we deliver that. Plus the fact that, you know, we have gotten so much press for being Gig City that the community itself has really embraced that. And I think people want to be part of something bigger than they are. And this is just one way of doing that. So what are the kinds of things the utility does that, that you know, you're familiar with electric utilities and there's a continuum, but I think most aren't as involved in the community as EPB does. Right. What are some of the things you do that others don't? I actually think that, you know, we have tried to be a good community uh, um player you know ever since day one and that was really one of our our key uh, reasons for coming into being was economic development and quality of life in Chattanooga but you know just like every business you get stuck in a rut 
And so after a while, you know, you're going to work to benefit yourself, not necessarily the community. Well, actually taking this project on, I think, has reinvigorized us. And the level of customer service that we give is much higher than it was even, you know, 10 years ago. So I think all of that type of stuff goes into helping us be a better electric utility by the fact that we have the fiber optics and we're engaging on customers on both sides. We're going in their houses today and having more one-on-one conversations than we used to, right? used to be kind of be this wall, never go past that front door. Uh, So now we were much more involved with our customers, and I think that makes us a better company. 90,000 customers out of how many possible? So there's 170,000 homes and businesses. So basically out of 170,000 potential customers. So that's including even apartment buildings that you're basically not able to get into. That is correct. Yep. Yeah. So we have about a 55% take rate overall um, and still growing. And about how many people take the gig, which is now $70, right? Uh, Let's see. The last time I looked, it was just under 10,000. So 9,000 some odd people are taking the gig. Okay. Yeah. And uh, 10 gig, any uh, takers? We have a handful, not not a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't expect a lot, but it's available for anybody who wants it. For two ninety nine, I thought it was more expensive. Yeah, no, that's a great deal. And, um, you know, as we move forward, you know, more businesses will start to take it and then they'll move to the residential, just mm-hmm. like the gig did. We saw the same type of deployment with the gig when we first announced it. So, uh, yeah, we're excited to be able to offer it and can't wait for customers to start embracing it. So you have yet more, you know, sort of good news. It's, it's not really that big of a deal, but it's conceptually, uh, it is the the communications division has retired its debt. Absolutely. A big hurdle, right? Uh, and, and, you know, we're very excited about that. You know, uh, the communication side has been cash flowing positive pretty much, you know, since year two. And we've been funding new capital developments when I mean, we're still building and, uh, you know, adding new customers. And that's, you know, very capital intensive business, as well as providing, you know, significant dollars over to the electric side, which this year was around 30. And next year, we're budgeting about 40 million going from the fiber optics over to the electric. Right. And to be very clear, that is basically people, your 90,000 customers who take television, internet or phone service or some combination of them are subsidizing the ratepayers. Yes, the electric ratepayers. That is exactly what's happening at this point in time. Um, you know, since inception, we have foregone on the electric side about a 7% rate increase, which is a pretty significant number. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we see, uh, obviously, uh, electricity is always a concern, particularly for lower income households, households on a fixed income. And right. so that's, that's, a, that's a big deal. On our electric side, we, we are actively engaging with a lot of different programs to help people, you know, basically make their homes and businesses more energy efficient. So it seems counterintuitive, but to us, that's good customer service. Speaking of good customer service, I wanted to ask this question earlier. I posed a, a different question this morning, but I, I actually think, and I don't know if you've marketed yourself this way, you have in at least one instance a faster response time than the fire department to a fire. <laughs> this is a, a remarkable story. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, no, we, have, we haven't used that as a marketing ploy. Uh, I will take that back and then talk to our marketing department about it. Uh, yeah, the information we're getting back out of our system is allowing us to do a lot of proactive things with our customers. And so we're working with the Department of Energy and Oak Ridge National Labs to help dealing with the big data problem we have to figure out what other tools we can use 
to provide better service to our customers and finding premature failures of equipment inside their house is one thing that we really would like to get to. Uh, we already have examples like you mentioned with the fire. You saved a pet, I think. <laughs> I right? saved a pet. Or uh, you know, people who have had issues with their heating and air and stuff like that where they're going to huge, get huge energy bills. We were able to proactively go warn them and they were able to get those problems solved quickly. It's just better customer service and it's a driver for us. How often are you polling now to, to check those smart meters from the homes? Right. So every 15 minutes, we get back real time. Uh, we do have the ability to go out there and ping them if needed. From uh, meters, we're getting it every 15 minutes. From our SCADA system, we're getting it every two seconds. Right. So I feel like I'm jumping all around because this is it's incredibly exciting. And um, all the, the great news coming out of Chattanooga, although I do think you've become such an outlier, it's actually harder for communities to try to be you. Um, and, and I don't say that. I mean, I, I literally think it's, it's dangerous to, for cities to think they could be you. I, I, I'm curious what you, how you react to that. They can always be us, right? We, we want to encourage them. I, I think that um, uh, communities need to go into these with their eyes wide open. They need to realize, you know, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and, and uh, how they can leverage what they have. When you look at Chattanooga, it was really the perfect time and really a good place to launch this. Chattanooga had already had a lot of visioning processes, so we had an engaged community. So when you're able to bring something like this to an engaged community, then you can kind of get the benefits that Chattanooga sees. So, you know, it's one thing to build a technical solution. It's another to get people to embrace it and actually, you know, push it to its to its full potential. And basically, you know, being able to brand ourselves Gig City, that was a multi-tiered approach, mm-hmm. not just EPB, but a lot of movers and shakers in the city getting behind that. I think communities certainly could emulate you and do a lot of things to, to try and um, succeed in the ways you've succeeded. However... In my going to Chattanooga, it seemed like you have more people rowing in the same direction than most communities. And it yes. takes years, decades to achieve that. I mean, this is this is not just a fiber network that sprung up in Chattanooga. It's more a very smart community that was doing a lot of the right things that built a fiber network. Right. And we, we, we um, intentionally tried to get the community engaged. So, you know, we did kind of build it and kind of sat back on our laurels, so to speak. We thought everybody was going to embrace it. And that didn't necessarily happen out of the gate. So we literally started a process where we spent a year bringing people in from the community and we would bring groups of 15 to 17 people from all walks of life into these. And once a week, we would meet with them. You've been to our control center and we would Mm -hmm. bring them in there and talk about how we built the network, what the network was capable of, and how a community like uh, Chattanooga could take advantage of that and then basically charge them, this is your network, you need to figure out how to leverage it. So it it took a little bit of kicking to get the community to engage, but we already were an active community, so it didn't take a lot of kicking. But it does take a community that's, that's going to work together and understand the benefits of working together to get the most out of a system like this. Well, and you yourself was someone, were someone you said who had left Chattanooga uh, after college, I presume, or around that time, right. and, and then the leader came back. Right. So we, and we were suffering the brain drain like a lot of small cities do. Kids went away from college and never, never came back. And I was one of those. And, um, you know, I moved back to Chattanooga. I was luckily, lucky enough to find a job. And uh, I consciously made the decision to take less wages and move back to Chattanooga because I thought it was a great community to raise a family in. So me and my wife consciously made that decision, and it turned out to be a really good one because I got to work at EPB um, and roll out a really great network. Um, 
so so today it's a little different today we have people moving into the community we have a lot of young people showing up that don't have ties they don't have relatives they don't necessarily have a job they come to chattanooga and basically say i'm going to figure it out when i get there um it's an exciting place one of the challenges that I think you face is trying to figure out what your impact is. We know that you've had a tremendous impact on the community. And, and one can point to the, the jobs that have come in from a few large employers. But it's really hard to try and figure out what impact you've had on those small entrepreneurial firms, existing firms that may have been more successful. You know, how do we know that the network has had such a positive economic impact on the community? You know, that, that is something that's very difficult to statistically measure, let's say. Uh, so there's a lot of things we can look at. Uh, you know, we have the chamber. They know how many large companies have come into town, and we can kind of extrapolate jobs from that. You can walk around in Chattanooga, and you can see the revitalized communities, and you can see the storefronts that are opening up. That's not necessarily captured by the chamber. A lot of those are small business, you know, one or two people working at them type thing. And we have tons of those going in. And um, so when you look around and you look at, you know, housing, you look at the growth in Chattanooga, you kind of look at the people moving back into the downtown area and stuff like that, you can feel the excitement. And so it's something almost you have to come and see to believe type stuff, but it's very difficult. And we're trying to figure out how to do a better job of measuring that. But how do you capture... Uh, you know, somebody who's working out of their house, let's say, you know, much like you might do for a lot of things that you do. Mm-hmm. How would you so show up in a statistical model, right? Um, that's that's the problem we face is we have a lot of people doing that, those type of work. You know, that gig economy type stuff is hard to measure. And I'm using gig as in the, <laughs> the job, not necessarily the bandwidth in that scenario. Well, it, fits, but it fits for both. It fits in this for case. both. Exactly. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, that you have clearly measured is uh, the benefits to the electrical side. And if we just back up for a second, it's worth noting you've not retired all of the debt of the network. You've retired the debt that was attributed to the communications side. That is correct. And, and, and we are paying down the debt on the, that's being borne by the electric side. We're not in any hurry to pay that down because we're getting very attractive rates on that. But it will be paid off you know, d- during the normal co- course of business. Well, um, I would think so if you're doing transfers of 30 transfer, and 40 million dollars. Yeah, so <laughs> we're transferring about three times what's needed to, to pay off that debt uh, today. So yeah, and the electric is seeing huge benefits from the smart grid that has been rolled out. And so are our customers. When you look at um, our outage, so there are, are measures that utilities use, and you know we have seen those reduce significantly. You know, fifty and sixty percent reduction in, in those reliability measures, um, and that doesn't uh, equate to the fact that we're not rolling trucks for those outages anymore. Uh, a number of miles, and we're at hundreds of thousands of miles every year being saved in truck rolls just on um, meter reading. Another couple hundred thousand miles being saved where we're actually having to go scout and find outages before we can fix them. Well, it's, it's worth just pausing there for a second because most electric utilities, when they have an outage, they find out about it through customers calling them and saying, I don't have any power. And then they send trucks out to zigzag around to physically locate with their eyes the break. That's right. And then once they find the break, then they do a manual workaround if they can. So they roll trucks to manually switch the power uh, if, if they have that capability. Um, and a lot of that takes time and effort. So you could be looking at two to six hours, you know, for, for a relatively small outage. Uh, our smart grid, we have put in the intelligent switches. So a lot of that switching happens automatically. 
we have information coming back from our smart meters and other sensors. So we have pretty much know exactly where that outage is and can roll trucks right to where the job needs to be fixed. So we're saving tons of money just on what we call, you know, scouting uh, for the outage. Well, this is, you, you covered this this morning and the slides are, are, are more visual to show the exact number, but you had an outage that impacted on the order of 14,000 people. Yeah. And, and just, if you remember roughly the time periods of so um, it was roughly 13,000 customers. It was on a 530 uh, on a Friday afternoon. So a lot of our employees had gone home just like everybody else. And a tree fell and took out a transmission line to take all of those customers out at one time. Basically, uh, in less than 30 seconds, about 10,000 of those came back on automatically because of, of our automatic switching and intelligence that we have built into the network. About another 30 seconds after that, we had a couple more come on through automatic switching. At that point, uh, people in the office were aware of the outage and were looking at it and were able to very quickly manually switch uh, in two different scenarios, like in a three-minute period, then in another two-minute period, they got the next couple hundred on in each one of those to where basically within six, six and a half minutes, all 13,000 were back on and we had a truck rolling to where the tree had fallen without anybody going out scouting, having to go out and do manual switching. That outage would have been 6 to 10, 12 hours. That would have been a significant time for us to get all those customers back on prior to our, our smart grid being in place. And, and that's the thing that I knew. The thing that I didn't know was you also would have had to recall all kinds of employees to answer phones. That's right, because you know they're, they're already going home. And so to handle the volume of calls or even to get people to go do the scouting, we would have been literally, okay, we know you just walked in the door at home. Could, do you mind getting in your car and coming back? so that we could handle the call volume as well as the workload to do the manual fixing on the outage. I don't know if you have any comment, but I saw on, on the Twitter feed today from EPB that you're seeing an abnormally high number of trees falling over, unfortunately, due to um, presumably temperature changes and things like that. What we've had is a, an abnormally wet first uh, part of the year. And so uh, we had a drought last year. And so the combination of having a drought and then is really affecting the oak trees. So we've had very large trees come down over the last uh, probably really two months. Um, so we've had some significant outages with similar repairs times that we have just talked about. But we've had, you know, where we've had 25,000 customers out and both most of those come back on relatively quickly. And we might end up with two or 3,000 uh, where we've had to literally roll to actually take trees and remove those trees. Um, but those would have been basically, you know, multi-day outages prior. Right. Well, it's also just sad to, to see giant trees going. Yes, especially these are large old oaks. I mean, you know, you're probably talking 100 year plus trees here that are going down at this stage. Well, one of the things that I know you do is you track the industry very closely. And I'm actually surprised when I look at uh, just having a conversation in Iowa alone, we might see four new municipal citywide fiber to the home networks in the next year. I was expecting to see less than five a year across the entire country. Uh, I, I was expecting to see a lot of municipalities doing incremental investments and things like that because I fear the market is so fragmented now, it would be harder to enter the market than it was when you did. And I'm curious what your thoughts are in terms of that. Is there still space for those sort of citywide builds? I think there absolutely is space. And I think that if you go back probably two years ago, every mayor pretty much wanted to be a gig city. So you've had a lot of you know people chasing it for about 18 months. So it doesn't surprise me that you're starting to see some of those efforts actually start to bear fruit type of a thing. 
I think the bigger issue really is financing for most people and getting over the fear of being able to actually deploy and run a network like this. And I think that's really a lot of people are actually almost to that level of a decision point uh, versus whether they think they want it or don't want it. I think they know they want it. They just don't know how to get it. Do you have a sense of how many people have left EPB to go work with other cities that are doing this sort of thing? That's a good question. (laughs) Um, We actually have not had a lot of people leave uh, to go go do that. Uh, we've had some people leave to go work with some vendors, mm-hmm. but actually the relative at that level, it's been very, relatively low. Um, we have had more employee turnover than we are used to historically, but it's been mostly like at the customer service level. And a lot of that is that the employees that we were hiring are skewing younger mm-hmm. and they tend not to stay as long. Yeah. I'm just curious. I, there's, um, it seems like there's a fair number of people from Google Fiber that are coming out and um, looking for jobs and things like that. Yeah. So I was, I was just curious if you were seeing any of that. Um, well, Chattanooga is such a great place to, to live. Nobody wants to leave, right? Well, so. I mean, that is one of the things that I got the impression is that working at EPB is really great. And I can imagine that people wouldn't want to go uh, work for a municipal, municipal utility where they may still believe in the job, but the culture may not be there. It, it's, it's a tough transition. And and that's where, again, I feel like we've always tried to advise, advise cities, like, if you want to do what Chattanooga did, it's not just about technology. So much of it is about culture within the, the community. It absolutely is, you know, and kind of like I was talking today, you know, you mine your peas and the rest of it takes care. So, you know, you know, planning, prep, people, performance, and partnerships. People and partnerships are the most important out of those five. Uh, you know, making sure that you have the right culture, you have the right staff, that they're willing to learn and engage with customers. Um, it's a make or break. Right. Well, it's exciting. And I'm, I just can't tell you how interesting it is watching Chattanooga. I mean, I, I feel like cities often are, um, there's a sense that cities aren't exciting or this or that. And when you look back, uh, a lot of really interesting innovations have come from cities you wouldn't have expected from. I mean, frankly, Chattanooga is even big compared to some of the really interesting innovations that have come out of communities where people do great things. So right. I'm I'm excited to have been chronicling um, Chattanooga as you've been doing it. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. You, you've been there pretty much since day one. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I my first t- time in Chattanooga, I think, was right around the time that uh, the network started being built. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Sure, no problem. That was Christopher with Coleman Keene, who shared updates from Chattanooga's EPB. We have transcripts for this and other Community Broadband Bits podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcasts at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and all of the podcasts in the ILSR podcast family on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Never miss out on our original research. You can subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. Thank you to Arnie Husby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle licensed through Creative Commons. And thanks for listening to episode 257 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. <laughs>